Hi, my name is Marina Rosen Capalazzo, and welcome to the podcast, Voices of the Ones Caught in Between. In this podcast, I will be engaging in conversations with my guests broadly about identity, paying a special attention to the way societal norms and stereotypes urge us to identify how identification with a certain identity should appear, and the process by which we should come to identify. In other words, what type of culture and environment are we urged or forced to either strongly or not strongly identify with certain aspects of ourselves? As we may come to see, identity is rarely as simple as black and white and is oftentimes a complex amalgamation informed not only by genetics, but also by society, family, culture, memory, and history. It is important to keep in mind that while in order to resist and contend the dominant narrative surrounding identity, the stories of individuals must come to light. However, these individual people must not be held as a spokesperson for their respective identities. Also, please do not try to find these guests on social media and attack them, even if you disagree with anything that is said. Today I have with me Joanne Rosen. She is my mom. She identifies as a white female lesbian, as a Jewish person, and as a mother. So first, I'd like to ask you sort of what was your experience with identity? Like how, like if you've experienced any like sort of different treatment from people, and also like how have you come to identify as you do? And you can pick whatever identifiers you want to talk about, or you can talk about all of them. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the way you, the, the identifiers that you described converge for me and I feel very Jewish identified and it's more like a family thing, a tradition thing. Uh, it's less about the, the theories of the religion it's, or the practice of the religion. It's really about family and holidays and stuff Culture. like that. But you do, I do carry with me kind of the discrimination that, um, you know, the group in, in general has experienced over many centuries, thousands of years, um, and you know, of course, most recently the Holocaust. Even though my my no one in my immediate family experienced that directly, um, I identify as a lesbian, and I feel sometimes that comes into conflict not with the Jewish religion, just with the Jewish religion, but with religions in general, as it's uh, basically. Uh, you know, not part of the religion. It's just people who are gay are discriminated against. And when I was growing up, there was no kind of liberal Judaism like the Reform Judaism we experience today. So I always felt marginalized in a certain way. And that created a conflict within me because I felt I, I identified with the religion, with Jewish people as a group, but yet I was shunned because I was gay. So it took me many years to resolve that and understand that religion is, and my Jewish religion is an identifier that is about spirituality, about doing the right thing, about community and um, history. And uh, so I'm, I'm feeling more open to it now, for sure. Um, identif- I identify as a mother as well. And I think as the next kind of level is, you know, from Judaism to uh, being gay and those conflicts. But on the other hand, being a mother actually doesn't pose a conflict with 
being gay because it's really, I always say being a, a parent makes you post-gay. Mm-hmm. In other words, your priority is your kids and you start identifying more as a parent than as a gay person. And I feel like especially when your kids are in school, you end up ident- you know, being friends, not picking your friends because they're gay and co- can go out with you at night or they identify politically or philosophically with your positions, but really <laughs> about like how do you do what's right for your kid? How do you choose the best school? How do you create uh, community with your, ki- your your kids' friends and their parents? And so um, I would say parenthood definitely trumps being gay, and that has become my my primary identifier as far as um, you know who I am, who how I go through this world. Um, so that's. I think yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think you sort of touched upon my next question a little bit, but what do you think like the relationship the relationship between culture and identity is? And culture can mean like, you know, Jewish culture, it can mean Chinese culture, but it also can mean like the way you live your life every day. Mm-hmm. So like in both senses of the word culture and then also identity, like how what do you think the relationship is? Hmm. That is a really good question. I mean, I kind of feel like I go through, like culturally, I identify more as like as, as an American. So I feel like the things that I'm concerned about are very kind of American, American things or the things that I enjoy and participate right. in are kind of American things. Like for example, if I lived in, you know, Pakistan, I might not culturally enjoy going for a hike or going shopping or going for a drive or something like that. So I think culturally I'm very more of anything more identified as as a um an American. Um do you think what how does that intersect with your identities then? Um that's another good question because on day on a daily basis I don't really connect with this kind of the subcategories of my identity, which would be Jewish gay. I just, I don't feel, um, I feel part of it is because I live in a major city that, a major U.S. city that is liberal and progressive, and I don't feel like I have to fight for the rights to be Jewish or fight for the rights to be gay. And but I, you did have to fight for your rights as a gay person. I did, definitely. Um, things have really changed over the past several decades because when I first came out, it was considered a psychological disorder, medical, clinically, mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, by the American Psychological Psychiatric Association. Yeah. And so you just really couldn't be openly gay. Things have definitely changed and change is slow and incremental. But if you look back 30 or 40 or 50 years, you know, it's such a big change, you know? Yeah, I think that's really interesting that the major identifier you most feel in your everyday life is your American identity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, but it's interesting because, I mean, technically, if we go technically with Judaism, mm-hmm. like you're more Jewish in your blood than you are American. Yep. Because it's like, yeah. According to twenty three, you could and be May. American yeah. and not be born in in America like right. I am. Um, so I was wondering, like, what you think the balance? I don't really know what the right word is, but kind of how you think, like, 
also, you, you kind of put on a performance when you identify as something. Mm-hmm. So for me, one of my major identifiers is being a, a female. Mm-hmm. And I really like putting on makeup. I really like jewelry. Mm-hmm. And I am aware that those are things that society has prescribed for people who identify as a female that they have to like. Mm-hmm. But I genuinely think that I do really like them. I find a lot of pleasure in you know, making cool outfits for myself mm-hmm. that may look very feminine. But I also, when I, when I hear about, like, things that women have gone through, you know, mm-hmm. in my soul or in my heart or in my mind, however you want to think about that, like, I so strongly identify as a female. Like, I feel like I can feel their pain. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering, to what extent do you think identity is a performance, something mm-hmm. you do every day, mm-hmm. and to what extent are you, do you really feel mm-hmm. like you're, you are whatever identifier you choose to be? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I feel like, okay, for example, you enjoy, you as a woman, you, I identify as a woman and you identify as a woman. I don't, as a woman, even though those are things that are generally like assigned to women, I do not feel that um, I, that I, those things don't give me pleasure. Right. So as a woman, I feel it's about finding the right fit for you and in a funny way being quarantined and not having to put on makeup or dress a certain way or look a certain way has been incredibly um, liberating for me because you know I I just don't get the same pleasure out of it um, as a woman because that so then what makes you feel like you want to identify as a woman um process of elimination I don't feel like I identify as <laughs> well a, what is like that feel like what even if it is by process by elimination well, wait, one like, of the things you mentioned is I do feel a little bit well when I think about the discrimination that women have suffered and and it's been you ongoing. know ongoing and unrecognized to a large extent that hurts me and I feel like I wish there was something more that I could do about that. But then I think about a lot of other injustices in the world and feel like it's such a waste. And I wish that we could collectively do something about it. But I think women, um, you know, have also evolved just like gay, you know, the concept of being gay is women used to have to be stuck in the kitchen and raising kids. And part of it was like they didn't have the resources available for women to to work. Like it would have been disruptive to the quote-unquote family unit. Um, women didn't have access to certain, you know, the education, but they also had kids and someone had to take care of them, you know, just basic breastfeeding, you know, um, being around, being around feeding, feeding them when they got older and stuff like that. So a lot of it is, um, you know, right now in the workplace, women are, have access to education and in more than prior years. So but I don't think, I feel like there's a range of what women like to look like mm-hmm. and dress Definitely. like. Yeah. I find there's like, one of the things that drives me crazy is when you see a woman, you know, going, you know, how they kind of sexualize or objectify women in popular culture, right. particularly like the low dresses and, you know, really sexy. And then they don't do that with men, you know, like that, that imbalance kind of like, you know, a lot of, it, it gives women a lot of body image issues and, um, I think it's been, I, 
I can't understand why people still um, allow that type of thing to happen. You know, going out to a gala, women will wear these like plunging necklines, transparent dresses, and the men will be dressed from head to toe with some sort of stiff fabric like a tuxedo or something like that. So I just think there should be like a little bit like the, the kind of the public image of women um, that, that women aspire to should really be reconsidered. You know, I agree to some extent. Like, I think there are definitely circumstances where men's bodies are sexualized, or there is definitely... I think the standards are changing for what, you know, mm-hmm. a handsome guy is. Like, it used to be, I think, in your age, like, really hunky. But now it's it's mellowing out a little bit more to, like, a, not you don't have to be as muscular now to be attractive. Mm-hmm. And I also think what you bring up is relates to you know what I asked you initially because yes there is definitely an expectation that women have to be you know sexy mm-hmm. and then you could also ask sexy in whose eyes mm-hmm. um, but also I know there's a movement now that maybe you're not aware of because you're of an a lot older generation um, that like women wear quote unquote like revealing clothes. Mm-hmm. In an effort to claim their image back. Mm-hmm. So they wear those clothes, they wear makeup, they wear dresses, they wear, you know, jewelry, they do themselves up because they want to. It's not for other people, it's for themselves, it's for their own confidence. Which is interesting because it's like yeah, it's like a performance. Like they're literally putting on a performance, they're getting dressed up, but like who is it for? I, I, I guess I don't really buy that. I know I know that's a theory, but I just don't buy it. You know that that Instagram thing that you saw on my on my yeah. iPhone. That was exactly that. It was a it was a blog about if women if men dress like women. So women would wear that bathing suit to the beach. Now would a man wear that? You know what I'm saying? Like I actually feel or your volleyball shorts. Men wear longer volleyball shorts. You know, just they wear regular shorts. They wear regular shorts, and and I'm I'm. You know, so why is that? But female basketball players wear regular short, like regular basketball shorts. Right, but that men like to watch women's volleyball, like especially beach volleyball. You know, and so there's like an inequality. It's not just related to going out and. But everything. when I wore them, I didn't feel sexualized, and I felt kind of I loved wearing spandex. Mm-hmm. When yeah, I it's comfortable. Volleyball. Then I, I I I know what you mean, but it's just like there's an inequality like men wear long there definitely is an inequality yeah yes, and agree. and it, and some women thinks think it's about reclaiming their body but it tends to be women who have great bodies you know what i'm saying it's about like beyonce well, no, like that's like what she be natural body yeah movement and stuff i get i get what you're saying you know yeah. i think i think a lot of if you look at the women who dress like that they are typically the object of like the the songs in the popular music that sexualize them. Yeah. Like that that is fodder and fuel for those kinds of objectification of women. You know. I you know, I like for example Alicia Keys had this no make she's in this kind of no make makeup movement. She's at the forefront of this no makeup movement and um some other people and you realize like I haven't been wearing makeup because of the quarantine and my eyesight has gotten so much better. My, eye, my the mascara yeah. is basically chemicals sitting in your eye all day long. Yeah. You know, and so I wonder, like, why is that considered? Like, men used to wear makeup in Egypt, in ancient, ancient. You know, it wasn't just women. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say that 
the whole the lesson from this whole quarantine for me is that it's okay to um you know I'm feeling more I'm feeling more comfortable with myself I love that as visual you know kind yeah. of physically like being more laid back about that I love that and not having to look like someone else or someone's like you know all right, those magazines like and when you think about how much time effort energy and money goes into making someone look like that that's it's income crazy. inequality yeah yeah I totally agree um kind of switching gears a little bit I wanted to ask you what I don't want to say like struggles but like some things you had to be perhaps a little bit more aware of or conscious raising two people of color children. One is black mm-hmm. and one is, is Chinese mm-hmm. me. And like being a white person, like I wonder like how your views on identity and culture maybe have changed or, you know, what kind of influences that has on your life? That's a really good question because when you... Um you know, when kids are little, it's not as big an issue. And it becomes a a much bigger issue as they start integrating into society. And I think, first of all, it has opened me up to really being truly empathetic to all the other cultures. Like I could think about it before, oh, you know, the Chinese Exclusion Act or social injustice with blacks and incarceration. But when you have it in your family and for someone you love and you you want to your impulses to protect as a younger person you who are not who's not on their own yet, it becomes per, much more personal and um, you feel it in a different way and I don't think there's anything that could have prepared me for that experience mm-hmm. um, so you definitely have a more authentic sense of um, connection with what that race or ethnicity is going through um and I think you know when when I first had kids were that were different races I didn't I I personally did not feel like a racist person like I didn't I, I didn't I I don't it didn't it didn't I didn't think about it because I'm I'm inherently not a racist or judgmental person when it comes to that I just thought oh it's great like I had a lot of black friends I had Asian friends I didn't um experience expect what happened which was that because I was not racist that I would experience other people who Mm. would be racist and say things that might be hurtful or do things that might be hurtful and uh, you know I think it's more in our culture up until now it's been more about you know culturally blacks Mm -hmm. uh, more a more difficult and it's I think it still is but I was listening um, on my way back to New York yesterday to CNN and it was a segment on prominent Asian Americans primarily Chinese and other uh, like Koreans and stuff who might have been people can't distinguish whether someone's Chinese necessarily or you know Americans can't and the discrimination because of this whole coronavirus thing and the kinds of things that had been said and done to them over the past few months since um, President Trump has been claiming that it was a Chinese virus or a Wuhan virus or something like that. And I think it's interesting because I think most of the newspapers are like more focused on you know, cataloging or keeping up to date with like the coronavirus itself, which I think is totally important. People should be uh, should be kept informed. Mm-hmm. But I think it's interesting that like 
I'm not like it's not that many headlines I read about like Asian discrimination, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. in the wake of mm-hmm. our president calling it the fucking Chinese virus. Well, that's why I was fascinated by the CNN segment because they have very prominent Asian yeah. Americans talking who had lived in this country for a long time, and the spike in things that have negative perceptions and negative things that had been said to them. Yeah. So. Awesome. I just have one more question for you. I don't know. I think we've really been talking about this whole time too, but sort of how you think identity functions in this world. And like what I mean by that is sort of similar, like a lot, like women historically have been oppressed in this Mm -hmm. country, but there are also a lot of people who find a lot of pride in being a woman and want to Mm -hmm. fight for women's rights. Mm -hmm. So like who like how do you think it functions? Is it sort of like a double edged sword or does it only function, you know, the dominant system? Like why do we feel like we need to identify? Like is are we really wanting to identify or is it being pushed on us by society or is it both or is it neither? Is it in between? What do you think it is? Well two things. One is I think um identifying is it is really about create you know, a cre creating a sense of belonging like people need to know they need identifiers to figure out who they are and how to function in this world but I do think identity is an obsolete concept I think it used to work when we lived in smaller clusters but you can't fight progress and we are one world it's globalization and globalization has affected identity so for example Chinese people don't just live in China they live all over the world yeah Um, Chinese people Black people might not just be black, they might be biracial, they might be half white, half black, you know, or half Chinese or something like that. So there's there's tons of in-between mm-hmm. now and it's growing. And so that's the kind of thing that has not been, re- our society has not been recalibrated to address that or to in- incorporate that. We're still holding on to, you know, Republican, Democrat, man, woman. And I think the trans thing too is, you know, there's all those in between, you know, they're Mm -hmm. not. And um, so change is slow, but it happens. That's all I can say. I'm optimistic because when I think back, you know, what Jews went through, what gays went through, all even, you know, Chinese, the Chinese Exclusion Act, I think things are moving in the right direction. And um, there's always blips, you know, it's two steps forward, one step back. But, you know, I think ultimately, I feel one of the things about the quarantine, I hate to say it, is that it's given me an opportunity to recalibrate my identity, you know, and what my priorities are and who I, who I really am, not what I identify with. Awesome. I think that's a great place to end unless you have any final words. Well, I do have a little bit of a, a final paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a pleasure to be interviewed by you. You have a Thank you so much. I've really being a part enjoyed of it. having this conversation with you and thank you for giving me the opportunity. Of course. All right. Thank you so much. And that concludes the episode. Thank you for joining me. See you next time.